Welcome to the podcast of the fabulous Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Michael Gordon, and I'm proud to serve as the 95th president of the greatest Rotary Club in the world. Our club serves our local and international community through a variety of projects, but our main focus is on youth literacy. If you're ever in town for either business or pleasure, we invite you to join us at one of our weekly lunches. More information about meeting time and location can be found at lasvegasrotary.com. Now, sit back and enjoy this week's speaker. So it's my honor to introduce our speaker today. I was chatting with him a little bit about his college. Okay, table over there. Shh. Okay, he said he's from uh, Bakersfield, where he went to college. I said, what's the best thing to come out of Bakersfield? He said, the freeway. So... No, but when he's not hiking Mount Charleston or planning his annual hike to the peak of Mount Whitney, Mike Roston, CPA and Certified Fraud Examiner, is directing the Forensic Accounting and Litigation Services at Piercy Bowler, Taylor & Kern, my old firm. It includes, uh, in this capacity, he focuses on sifting through financial transactions to resolve allegations and evaluate suspicions, interpreting the data, and then presenting it in a court of law. He is a seasoned professional with the confidence that comes from more than 25 years doing litigation support and accounting. Please help me welcome Mike Rostin. Good afternoon. How is the volume in the back? Is that okay? Excellent. Before I start the presentation today, I'd like to have a show of hands for all of the accountants in the room. How many accountants do we have in the room? I think I've met at least three. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven accountants, great. I was estimating that we were going to have ten, so I, so I was wrong. We're going to go over fraud today, specifically employee fraud, occupational fraud. We're going to cover the 2016 ACFE fraud report to the nations. And uh, I consider this a journey in terms of who commits fraud, why they commit fraud, and how we as business owners can help prevent the fraud. The fraud topic is twofold. First, it is prevention. If prevention is not successful, then we have what's called detection. Prevent fraud, detect fraud. Prevention is certainly where we want to focus our efforts because then we don't have to detect the improprieties. And my personal feeling is, through the, the concepts we're going to discuss today, um, we can, as business owners, as supervisors, as managers, protect our employees from themselves. I am a huge proponent of um, societal benefit of management protecting the employees from themselves. These are the topics that we're going to go over. I am a certified fraud examiner. I am a CPA. I conduct forensic investigations on a day-to-day -day basis both for 
management of companies. Some of them turn into criminal indictments. I was going to actually testify in a case this Tuesday, which was reset, but it's the result of a criminal matter that we investigated a couple of years ago. I have a couple of colleagues in the room that I'd like to recognize. We have our managing shareholder, Tom Donahue, is here. He is a CPA, and he is also a certified fraud examiner. We also have Ryan Whitman, who's a shareholder with Piercy Bowler, Taylor, and Kern. He, too, is a CPA and a certified fraud examiner. And I have my associate, Tricia, who's been instrumental in helping me with the presentation today, and I've had the pleasure of working with the last 12 years. Tricia, thank you for being here. Sorry, I may forget to advance the slide. I've been here in Las Vegas since 2004. I came here from Texas, where I was temporarily for 15 years. Uh, 15 years was temporary. Uh, I was a private investigator in Texas for a couple of years prior to moving here to Las Vegas in 2004. So the perspective that I have on fraud, waste, and abuse, uh, fraud prevention, fraud detection, is as both an auditor and an investigator, or what um, colleagues of mine in Texas used to refer to as an auditor. So I consider myself CPA, certified fraud examiner, also a auditor, or maybe that would be an auditor. Fraud affects us all. Fraud is estimated to um, represent 5% of gross sales based on the studies by the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. These studies began back in 1996, and that book was actually a 300-page, 350-page book on occupational fraud. Since that time, the study has been conducted every two years. I have a copy of it in my hand here, and if anybody would like one, let me know after the presentation, and I can certainly get one into your hands. It's now called the Report to the Nations on Occupational Fraud and Abuse. It is expanded from domestically to the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners has about 75,000 members, and it covers the entire world. Based upon this latest study in 2016, small businesses are most susceptible to fraud because they are thinly staffed and maybe multiple duties by individual. They don't have the sophisticated internal control structures or depth of larger corporations. The median loss to fraud is estimated at $150,000, and asset misappropriation is the most common, 83% um, of the reported cases, with a median loss of $125,000. The greatest risk that we'll get to later is the accounts payable cycle or the disbursement cycle. This is a diagram on the screen called the Fraud Triangle. The Fraud Triangle was developed by um, Donald Cressy, who was a sociologist and a criminologist, and it came out of his study of why are perpetrators uh, committing fraud. And he theorized, and this has held up over the years, that there are three components to the Fraud Triangle. Pressure or need, ability to rationalize one's behavior, 
and an opportunity to commit the impropriety that leads to the financial loss to the organization. Pressure can be keeping up with the Joneses. Pressure can be um, making the company, um, excuse me, uh, enhancing uh, persona. I had a case a number of years ago where the individual who was ultimately convicted uh, stole and uh, pled guilty to stealing roughly $700,000 from a casino. He had a side business in addition to his duties for the casino. He was actually an employee. And he had, he was doing photography on the weekends. He would take models out into the desert and have them posed by cars. And I was led to believe during that case that these would get into the automotive magazine. I think one of the reasons why he ended up defrauding this particular casino was to keep up his lifestyle in the particular niche that he was trying to get into, which was this alternate lifestyle of being a photographer. With respect to rationalization, I consider that the bending of right and wrong. Uh, for example, um, the individual could rationalize by saying that he or she thinks he's worth that. The other employees are getting paid that. Why am I not getting paid more? Lots of the perpetrators believe initially that they are just taking loans from a company that they'll ultimately pay back. Thank you, Jerry. Jerry's one of the individuals I know here from years back. Lots of my clients don't want to be recognized as knowing me because of what I do. <laughs> and the clients that I have are very pleased to see me, but up front I always apologize if they're there talking to me because it's usually not uh, um, we're doing well or you know a, a positive situation. This is my author of what we have. We have white collar crime. We have misappropriation. We have theft. We have embezzlement. We have diversion. This is what we're going to be talking about today. It ranges from Enron and Bernie Madoff in scale down to the employee on the front line um, diverting cash receipts, either from the, the cash register or incoming payments from clients. What are the red flags? Red flags are those things that indicate that there may be a problem. Remember when we began the presentation, excuse me, when I began the presentation, we talked about prevention, we talked about detection. These are red flags that may indicate an employee or group of employees are conducting schemes within your organization. Living beyond one's means. The $40,000 accounts payable clerk that drives a Rolls Royce, that drives a Jag. Conspicuous consumption is prevalent in many of the fraud cases. Uh, I don't know how many in here are aware of the fraud up in Illinois in the city of Dixon. City of Dixon's comptroller, over a period of time, ended up stealing $53 million. The $53 million was huge, and the city only had a budget annually of $10 million. She had quarter horses, she had vacation homes, she had motor homes. 
Uh, I did some research just before the presentation. Um, the trustee of, of the bankruptcy had to sell all the assets and she had a whole room full of trophies that she won, won with her quarter horses. She had set up an account that was titled Reserve Capital Development. It was a bank account that she used to funny, funnel city monies to that she used as her own personal piggy bank. Based upon my experience in occupational fraud, sometimes you have a distinction of monies. You have the company monies, you have the individual's money, and then you have some intermediate basket of funds, whether it be an account like this or other, that is our money. So somehow the ownership of the company's funds or the organization's funds shift into an account um, that then is our money, not, not my money or your money. <clears throat> Financial difficulties, family issues. Uh, problem gambling is huge in terms of an impetus to uh, misappropriation and theft. Gambling addictions, by the way, I don't have it on the screen here, I will say, gambling addictions cause a lot of problems in terms of employee embezzlement. Two or three of the cases that I've done here actually are because, or were because of problem gambling. Um, there have been studies that show that if a business is within 50 miles of a casino, their risk of fraud from its employee base triples or quadruples. And, of course, here in Vegas, we have lots of casinos. Unusually close association with vendors. Vendors can be used to perpetrate uh, kickbacks on an organization. I'm familiar with a case where the individual actually was receiving Amazon prepaid gift cards from a vendor uh, for personal use. You have to wonder if the prices were inflated um, from that vendor to the company. We have the next slide, which are unwillingness to share duties. If you have an employee that never wants to take a vacation, they may be protecting a fraud scheme. In fact, lots of the fraud schemes are discovered when the employees go on vacation or have a family emergency, the substitute comes in and finds evidence of misapplication of cash receipts, diversion of funds, and other improprieties. In the banking scenario, the banks actually require mandatory vacations, two-week vacations away, job rotation as well for those that are in sensitive positions to protect the organization from schemes that need a day-to-day -day, uh, monitoring to keep them uh, in existence. Next, we have a wheeler-dealer attitude and unscrupulous behavior. As a corollary to this, there's a theory called um, deviant behavior. Those employees with deviant behavior have a greater risk for uh, committing fraud against an organization. Deviant behavior is the employee that skirts company policy, the employee that abuses the expense reporting system, the employee that's accused of sexual harassment. That individual, and it's kind of like profiling, but that individual will create a greater risk 
to the organization. There are tools that have been developed by companies that actually monitor uh, whether or not um, an employee is fit for their duty, whether or not they may be perpetrating fraud schemes. So how are they caught? This slide is from the ACFE report to the nation, and these are ranked in order of uh, importance. Uh, the, the biggest detective measure is anonymous tips and hotlines. I did some research into hotlines. There are three different types of hotlines that exist, basic, medium, and high. The basic is $500 to $1,000 a year. Medium is $1,500 a year. Uh, the best is like $2,000 a year. And I'm sure that there's plus the call volume, but many of these hotlines are open to employees, but also to vendors, because the frontline employees, the co-workers, co and the vendors will probably be the first to know of schemes that may be perpetrated. Next, we have internal audit. Man management review, and by management review, there are two types of management review. One is passive management review, just looking at things as they come through, and there's another type of review, which is active management review. Active management review is actually looking at things and making employees fear getting caught. Uh, there's a, so there are different levels of management review and involvement. Fourth, by accident, and then lastly, account reconciliation. A number of years ago, I investigated a situation where the company owners kept the check stock and the check stamp in a locked desk drawer. Lo and behold, the controller of the organization found a way to call the bank and have money wired and transferred to places without the check stock and the signature stamp. The owners of this particular company were very studious in taking the instruments and securing them while at the same time not giving active management review to what's going on with the bank statements, and I think $700,000 went out the door. What changes can be made to improve uh, fraud detection, fraud prevention? Anonymous fraud hotline, I described that a little bit earlier, the three different levels, the basic, the mid-level, and the high. Uh, some of the companies, uh, in, in case you were interested, on the basic side, AnswerNet or fraud hotline, and the mid-level, red flag reporting, and lighthouse services. And then at the high end, Navex Global and Conversant. I was trying to find a site from the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners that I could give you that would be their endorsement of a hotline. Uh, no, uh, I think they're hesitant to give an endorsement of a hotline. This information that I just gave you came from a 2013 article in the Journal of Accountancy. Active management review oversight. Some of these are redundant of my earlier um, I apologize. Active owner 
management review of high-risk areas. Those high-risk areas, again, according to the 2016 fraud report to the nations, are in the accounting area. I think the accounting area is the highest department of risk of loss. Next, purchasing and sales, and then operations. Next, we would have potentially segregation of duties. Again, when you have a small organization, segregation of duties may not be entirely possible, uh, which can be countered, in my opinion, and based on my experience, by active owner involvement of reviewing the bank statements, of reviewing the account reconciliation, and being active in the involvement of the business. Many, many years ago, I had a client in Texas that uh, wanted us to come in and do bank reconciliations for his company because he had some monitoring devices that controlled air and water systems, and that was his bailiwick. He had a manufacturing facility, he had a lot of employees. He was looking outside of the organization to stimulate sales. He was also looking back inside the organization into the warehouse and the operations. He was not looking back into the operations for uh, oversight of the accounting function and the finance function. He had hoped to pay my firm to come in and do the account reconciliation. When the owners divorce themselves from the details, totally, um, it leads to problems. Owners cannot shirk that responsibility, and the owners and the companies have a responsibility to protect the employees from themselves and, and to prevent the damages to society. In terms of segregating duties, we could require a different person to issue, approve, and sign the checks. We could have a situation where incoming checks and receipts from customers are logged into a journal by two employees so that those employees control one another in terms of completeness of the uh, accounts receivable collections coming in. And lastly, establishing and, independ and independently developing expectations of what revenues should be coming in the door or of what operations should be like. Uh, I've encountered situations where the company is a robust company doing great operations, but the owner says they're short on cash all the time. That could simply be lack of properly monitoring receivables versus payables, but if the company is continuing in existence as it has in the past, that could be a flag that it, there's a problem with the, uh, the company. Surprise audits. Again, the fear of detection. What is a surprise audit? Well, there's the financial audit, but we're not talking about a financial audit here. We're talking about, really, surprise inspection of um, bank reconciliations, uh, surprise inspection of cash receipts logs, um, and the, act, the actual metrics of the business will dictate what type of, of inspections are necessary. But cash is typically the, the commodity that's preyed upon because you don't have to fence cash. Cash is, is readily spendable. But high dollar assets could also be uh, taken by employees. Mandate vacation time. Again, time away uh, 
may allow a skein to unwind and unravel. Make at least one change to fight against fraud. Help your business and help your employees uh, from themselves. Preserve and protect. Train your employees to be fraud fighters. Have a company policy that makes them aware of the red flags and uh, avenues of communication within the organization to alert management to issues that may be occurring. There is a case that I have done recently, and I will close with, with this case, and then I'll open it up to any questions. The owner was alerted by a tip that an employee was stealing money. The employee had been with the company for eight years, and this particular tip came from a conversation overheard in a bar, or some type of a, it was a bar and maybe some company function. Uh, we were called in and asked if we could help look at the accounting records to determine if uh, things were getting away from the owner who had the IRS coming after him for past due payroll taxes. Uh, it, was a, it was a bad situation. The, the end, end story was we found uh, $250,000 that had been stolen uh, very simply through QuickBooks and this one bookkeeper having control of a signature stamp and the check stock the, the reconciliation of the bank accounts and, and QuickBooks, and she was able to manipulate the entries that went into the system that I, I have to believe the owners never looked at, um, or at least they never compared back to the details. Of course, this went on for three or four or five years, and the tax returns were prepared by the outside accountant who got QuickBooks, uh, but we compared the bank statement and the canceled checks to what was recorded in QuickBooks, and found an entire mess of things not agreeing. It was just a, a sad situation. Um, the company was, again, in dire straits because the IRS was coming after them, and this employee ended up having uh, a gambling addiction. That's not an excuse, but it's a, it's a motivation um, for, for what, uh, in this case, what she did. Um, and with that, I'll go ahead and say, implement measures to protect your companies, and to protect the employees from themselves. Sir. Um, most of those tricks were in your warning flags. One of the things, I put two in jail. They were married, had kids. They spent three years in jail each. And now, you know what I get on the embezzlement of recovery of funds? A check for $10 once a month. That's all they're obliged to do when they go into the court system. I had another banker tell me one time, never turn them in, which is criminal if you don't. Just go after them to get the money. Because otherwise you get the 10 bucks a month. Many, many of the perpetrators are repeat perpetrators. Um, the, the ACFD report to the nations indicates that the, the perpetrators are first-time perpetrators, but my experience has been an individual or maybe a married couple moves from company to company, and they, they, they defraud one company, and they move on to another company, and 
their fraud at that second company is being used to repay the first company. Um, I've encountered that two or three times. Uh, one very economical measure would be to carry insurance, carry employee theft insurance. Yes, sir. Um, about six or seven years ago, we had someone from the district attorney's office, I think he was an ADA, talk to us, and he described how the real owner of LifeLock was convicted of felony check fraud writing here in Clark County. I wondered if you have an update, anything about him. Uh, I, I don't. I don't. Well, so when it comes to obviously gambling addictions, um, I imagine it's pretty tough. It's pretty difficult to get any of that money back, right? So, I guess speak if you could to the importance of that prevention versus detection when it comes to the fact you can't recover, right? In a lot of these cases. That's right. I mean, for for the dollars that are invested, I think the dollars best invested are to prevent rather than detect. Once the horse is out of the barn or the cow is out of the barn, it's pretty hard to get them back in. Um, bonding. Bonding of the, of the key employees, I think, is very economical. I'm not an insurance person, but maybe there's an insurance person in the room. Um, you know, fidelity bond of, of $200,000 to $250,000. Uh, there are coverages of, uh, of employee theft. Um, and oftentimes, on the back end, the perpetrators have gambled it away, they drank it away, they consumed it, and, you know, there may be 10% asset value for, for the 100% for the investment that was made. What we'll call the theft investment. So I have a question for you on um, getting the police involved to take action against these things. The things that I know of or been involved with, it's very challenging to get the police to take action. Is there a certain set of guidelines you could recommend to us? Whatever they just don't seem to be interested. I think in there this. is one forensic accountant with the DA, and I and I know him. His name is Tim. Um, the cases that we work, we develop the numbers and then they can just come in and they being Metro, uh, the authorities can come in and just use that uh, for pro prosecutive purposes. Uh, but the, you know, being able to, it's a question for management of do you want to invest the money? I mean, is there, is there some recovery from an insurance perspective? Insurance typically doesn't cover the investigation, uh, so it's a matter of whether or not um, Management just wants to drive the point home, which which is a good way to let the other employees in a maybe a medium-sized business know that uh, there are going to be consequences. But if you have a smaller business and there's no insurance, what are you going to gain? It's, it's a very difficult proposition. To expand on his point, so we were a victim, and ironically, it's a, uh, an employee had a shopping problem, and actually occasionally bought. Uh, gifts for my kids, and I told her not to. She didn't make enough money to do that. But we did. We did go to the police department, and you know it was it was very low six figures, but it was still six figures. And he said the average one's three hundred thousand. He told me. And further irony, he didn't want to do anything. We pressed the issue. Two weeks later, he was uh, accused of fraud in the police department, and. He was tried, so it was, just, wow. it was really interesting, and it was really a big mess, but it was, I was shocked, because when he said, do you want to prosecute, I said, well, if I took a purse from a lady with 100 bucks, you'd throw me in jail, but you're saying somebody stole 100 grand from me, and 
I shouldn't pursue it. It's not worth the time. It's, it's, it's You're the, not going to get any money out of white, it. It's the white collar crime is very difficult. It's the sometimes, principle. Sometimes the schemes are very layered. They're difficult to prove. It's yeah. not like violent crime on the street or somebody stealing your wallet. I have a situation right now where the owner of a business, this is third round uh, on employees that have stolen from him. And we are assisting him in investigating with two, two employees. I've had, I've had multiple clients that have been preyed upon multiple times by individuals, controllers, accounting managers, and you have to wonder if that individual in charge of that business or those businesses just did not invest enough money in the prevention aspect. Yeah. Are you done? Yes. Sorry. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. But before you go. We would like to present you with our Soul Power Award. That means a pair of shoes and socks will be donated in your name to a needy child. So thank you for coming to our meeting today. Thank you, thank you sir. And as I do every week, I want to tell you, Rotary is like tennis. Those who serve best usually wins. Now go forth and make a difference. Thank you for joining us for another wonderful meeting of the Rotary Club of Las Vegas. If you're interested in membership or want to know more about our upcoming projects and speakers, please visit lasvegasrotary.com for more information. Now go forth and make a difference.